Welcome to The Family Room, sponsored by Versprite, where we offer hope, encouragement, truth, and wisdom for families, centered on biblical truth and Catholic teaching, because God's kingdom begins at home. Now welcome your hosts, Mari, John, and Craig, here on AM 1160 The Quest, your Atlanta Catholic Radio. Welcome into the family room. This is Mari, as you just heard, and I'm here today with John. Hey, John. Hey, Mari. How are you? I am good, and we're missing Craig. We are missing him. He kind of feels, I don't know. It's not right, but it's okay. Slightly empty. I feel empty. It's it's like a third of us is missing or something. Yeah, that's exactly right. I'm good with numbers like that. (laughs) (laughs) So today, um, I'm really excited about our guest today, and I know you're going to introduce Mm -hmm. introduce them shortly but it's all about um miracles Mm -hmm. which miracles are pretty awesome amen yeah yeah have you ever experienced a miracle well some would look at my college degree (laughs) some would look at my marriage some (laughs) would look at the fact that i walk upright and claim any of those three things a miracle (laughs) but yeah but i have i have like things that um probably more in my family with my grandmother and things like that or yeah yeah. But definitely a believer. See, just it's amazing the yeah. stuff that happens. We've seen stuff even in the studio here, right? I mean, you yeah. call it miracles, but just oh, no, intervention, right? I'm sitting here thinking, I'm remembering yeah. we were doing an interview with a guy in Mexico and we could not get the sound to work. And you went next door to our adoration chapel here in the studio and started praying and and asking Mary to intercede. And we made it through with that entire interview. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Yeah. So, um, why don't we go ahead and have an opening prayer and then let you introduce our yeah, guest. Um, okay, let's that do work? it. Okay, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, amen. you are the God of miracles. You are um, you are the great provider. You are Jehovah Jireh, and you provide everything for us, and we thank you so much for that. Lord, we just ask that you continue to open our eyes to all of the miracles that you give us and you provide for us every single day, and that we would always glorify you and give you all of the credit for, for all of those miracles. Um, Lord, thank you for all the ways you show up in our lives, in the big ways and in the small ways. And once again, let us always glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So, to our guests, and we have two. We have, we have two, two guests. Uh, yes. A married couple. Nicole is a devoted wife and, and a mother for, uh, I guess, stepmother. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe is a husband. I like this bio, by the way, because it's not like a whole long list of degrees. It's it's like what we all identify. So Joe is a husband and father. He's a financial planner. He's a relative of Blessed Michael McGivney, who's the founder of the Knights of Columbus. And um, he's a recovering alcoholic. And if we do our job, right, actually, if we just let Joe speak, by the end of this conversation, we are going to learn that Joe is also a miracle. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and Joe, you don't know this, but you were born at Little Company Mary Hospital in the exact same month that my youngest sister, Kathy, was born. So can I ask your birthday? Of course. It's June 24, 1963. Well, she's an old lady by comparison to you then. She was there June 3rd, <laughs> 1963, at Little Company Mary Hospital. I still have visions wow. of standing down there in the courtyard and my mom up in the window because you couldn't go up holding up this bundle that was my sister, Kathy. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, crazy. Anyway, there's more There's more to this conversation than that, I promise. So um, 
We're going to be talking today about Joe's book, You're a Miracle, My Story of Alcoholism, Miraculous Healing, and God's Infinite Power of Love. Mm. So here we go. So welcome, Joe and Nicole. Thank you. Yes, so we're glad to have you. And I love that title, too. What a great title. Yes. You are a miracle. You're a miracle. My story of alcoholism, miraculous healing, and God's infinite power of love. Yeah. Um, So we usually ask all of our guests as we begin um, to share with us their faith journey, kind of maybe where they've experienced God and his love in the past. So, Nicole, we're going to start with you. Tell us a little bit about you and maybe... um, how you grew up, what your faith journey was, and um, anything you'd like to share. Okay, well, I um, actually grew up in a very loving, loving household. Two wonderful parents, um, both Catholic, Italian Catholics, actually. But they, you know, we always celebrated the Christian holidays, never attended church, uh, and my parents, they chose not to baptize us, hmm. and they just figured they were kind of relaxed about it. They figured at one point when we became adults or of a certain age that we would be drawn to something, you know, some sort of faith, or it, we would marry someone of a faith and, you know, take on that faith with our husbands or just find ourselves eventually. And whatever we chose, we chose. So... It really honestly wasn't until um, I was in my late 20s, I started becoming really spiritual. And I would write in my journal oftentimes, my gratitude journal, and make my daily list in the morning. And that would kind of like jumpstart my day. And I would go into the day and I just, I had just a sense of peacefulness and positivity And I felt grounded always after, you know, completing my list. And really, I mean, I just sat there and was like, my goodness, I have so many, so many great things to be grateful for. Um, And it just, you know, changed the way I kind of thought about life and and living. And, um, you know, I purchased stones and, and gems and everything. And I just, I was so into just, you know, my spirituality and um, then I just I continued on in life and always um, you know remembering everything that I was you know grateful for Um, but at that point I was always like surrendering to the universe Mm. right and putting it out there um, you know and, and hoping that you know goodness would would come when I would harness those thoughts in terms of what I wanted for myself or, you know, with things in general. Um, it, it, so we, when I met Joe, um, you know, I continued on being spiritual, but at that point he really didn't, um, you know, engage, my, engage much rather, you know, faith-wise. And so um, it wasn't until about a year and a half ago when we were at church together we had joined this new parish, and I really um, had such a wonderful experience there. I enjoyed the homilies, the music, the whole environment. It's just such a warm, welcoming environment. And I thought, wow, you know, he's Catholic, and he's been going back to church now consistently and honoring God and, you know, really immersing himself in his faith. And I, I want to do the same too. You know, I've always thought about, you know, being prayerful and 
and having a good moral compass and an attitude of gratitude and everything. But I, I just, I want some sort of like faith identification, mm. you know, um, just go attend mass oftentimes and just really learn as much as I can about the Catholic faith. So it wasn't until like the end of mass one morning, I turned to him and I said, you know what? I just, I feel it in my heart. This is what I want to do. I, I want to be baptized. I mm-hmm. want to be baptized Catholic. I want to be baptized here in this parish by Father Aiden. And what can I do to make this happen? Mm-hmm. So my timing with it was actually pretty perfect because this was like right before the RCIA classes started. So it was essentially like just a month before. And so my timing was good. So I slid right into the classes, completed all the classes, and that led me to the Easter vigil. And actually, so last April um, is when I was was baptized there at the vigil. Mm. And I just, I, my goodness, I just, I felt so grateful. And it was such a beautiful, touching moment in life to share that journey with him. He was my sponsor and uh-huh. he supported me through the whole time, attended class with me every week. And then he was there obviously with me that evening. And it just, it was just so wonderful. And it just, it still gives me chills just thinking back on that experience in that moment. And yeah, I mean, we're just, we're so happy that we have God as a part of our marriage and relationship now, I mean, it's really helped us tremendously and has grounded us in, in so many different ways. And, um, you know, we thank him every day. Amen. Amen. That is so beautiful. And some might say that's a miracle in and of itself, right? And um, somebody yeah. who yeah hadn't been baptized and then, wow. And Joe, as she was telling that story, just the look of um, pure delight I and love that. on your face is yeah. just beautiful. Just so beautiful. Yeah. Um, I still remember that 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 moment when she tears. I'm getting a little emotional. Where you know after mass, she turned to me, tears streaming down her face. It was kind of this Holy Spirit moment, and she said, "I want to be Catholic and I want to be baptized." And it was yeah, it was so beautiful. That's wonderful. The Holy Spirit is powerful. Yeah, like He knows what He's yeah. doing. <laughs> so, Joe, I don't even know how to start this because I want to get. A little. I want to hear a little bit about your faith walk, but but immediately it's going to take us down all manner of paths, which is fine. That's the intention of the of the um, of the interview. But by medical standards, you should be fundamentally strapped in a bed, twenty four seven observation care, whatever the right terminology is. But you're not. You're here. Maybe you can kind of give us the big milestones. In, in that, and then we'll probe a little bit deeper into into you know the whole alcoholism and, and the and the walk that you that got the big long walk that brought you to to um, to where we are now. Can, you yeah, wanna... the uh, you know the um, I guess the beginning of my my faith walk began as a child. I, I was raised in a very Catholic, very loving family. Um, I grew up on the southwest side of Chicago in a predominantly Irish Catholic neighborhood. And, you know, like all good Catholics at that time, you know, I was baptized, I think, within 10 days of my birth, Um, you know, went through all the the sacraments. Um, Actually, my grandfather, uh, my dad's dad, who died before I was born, was a 
very prominent Catholic figure inside of the Chicago Archdiocese. Um, he was an attorney, and back then there was a, 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 a diocese publication called The New World, mm-hmm. and I think it was monthly and mm-hmm. it was delivered at Paris in the diocese. He was the lay editor of that that oh. magazine, and he also did a lot of pro bono legal work for the diocese. So, and and by the way, he was also a knight. But anyway, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I, I ultimately went to uh, high school at Brother Rice High School, which is you know an all Catholic boys school taught by the Irish Christian Brothers. Um, but uh, after high school, when I went off to college at the University of Illinois, I just stopped going to church. Um, you know, even as a child, when I look back, I don't know that I ever really had a spiritual connection with God. You know, I knew the prayers and had made all the sacraments. And even, you know, in all boys Catholic high school, you would think something oh, yeah. would have kicked in. But it really just didn't for me. And maybe it was my own innate selfish nature. Um, but once I went off to, to college, um, after after high school, you could probably count on two hands the number of times I actually walked into a church unless it was a wedding or a funeral. Mm-hmm. And that kind of followed me throughout my adulthood yeah. until recently. <laughs> and that's the that's part of the story we're excited to get to. So if you are just joining us, we're here in the family room with Nicole and Joe McGivney. And we are going to be talking about Joe's book, You're a Miracle, My Story of Alcoholism, Mir- Miraculous Healing, and God's Infinite Power of Love. So, Joe, you did say that. You said at the very beginning that um, you're a recovering alcoholic. So when did you start drinking? What was that path like? And when did you realize you were addicted to alcohol? My my love affair with alcohol began, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was the summer before eighth grade. Wow. Uh, and in our neighborhood, you know, drinking at that age was just kind of, it w- wasn't even something you gave a second thought to. It's what everybody did. Um, I, I was out in front of one of my friend's houses. It was a warm summer night. And his brother came out of the house, was walking to his car, and where someone asked, where are you going? He said, I'm going to the liquor store. And one of us chimed in and said, will you get some beer for us? And he said, if you give me some money, I will. And he came back. There were six of us guys. He came back with three six-packs of old-style beer, which, by the way, is awful. (laughs) Uh, Not at that time. (laughs) (laughs) It was the Chicago thing. And uh, anyway, so that meant each one of us was given three beers. Two guys to a six pack. And I remember, you know, popping the top and struggling to get that first beer down, but I wanted to belong, right? I wanted yeah. to be one of the guys. Yeah. Managed to. Um, and right from that first beer, uh, and then the second, and then the third, my I felt different. You know, when I look back, I had always felt like I didn't really belong. I, I was a very good student, but there were people smarter than me. I was a good athlete, but there were others that were better. You know, the girls once in a while took a look at me, but I wasn't one of the cool guys. Uh, I just didn't feel like I fit anywhere. And after that third beer, I felt confident. I thought I was good looking. I thought I was funny. I'm one of the guys. All my anxieties just faded away. And I remember waking up the next morning feeling pretty ill, uh, my first hangover, 
And most normal people would have probably said, I'm never doing that again. I, on the other hand, was thinking, I can't wait to do that again. Mm-hmm. And I was off to the races. I became a weekend warrior from that day forward. Once I hit high school, my weekend warrior turned into occasional daily drinking. Once I reached college, I, 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 and from that day forward, I'm pretty sure there was not a day in my adult life where I didn't have at least a drink, a beer. Um, it's not to say that I was, you know, falling down drunk every day because I wasn't. I, you know, I got good grades in college. Um, ultimately, you know, once I entered adulthood, you know, was a highly functioning alcoholic. Mm-hmm. I had a really good career in the financial industry. Um, but like most alcoholics, my disease continued to progress over time and get worse. Um, the blackout moans started increasing. Um, there's no, I was ultimately, you know, got married in Chicago. I had two beautiful children who are now young adults. My alcoholism, though, played a big role in destroying that first marriage. And I met the love of my life who's sitting next to me. Um, And my alcoholism, again, led to a divorce. After Nicole and I were married, we, because of my drinking, I was now a blackout drunk. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, tried to love on me, but I wasn't having any of it. You know, the, the obsession of alcoholism had taken over. And she rightly so had had enough, divorced me. But God mysteriously, you know, kind of nudged us back together again. And we got some therapy. We got some help. And we reached <laughs> an agreement that I would no longer be a blackout drunk, that I would drink like a gentleman. And I don't know what that means, but she she agreed to it. Mm. And over the next few years, that worked. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I would not drink myself into a stupor. I would not drink and be mean mm-hmm. and, and short, you know, tempered and all the things alcoholics do. But that all changed in early March of 2020 when we went into COVID lockdown. You know, it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. I heard a lot of people that mm-hmm. during COVID, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people did turn to drugs and alcohol and things. Uh, quite um, actually, I have. I know that can sales um, around the world went through the roof because people were having more beer and more drinks, and can- it was crazy during COVID that that happened. Um, before you get into that about COVID, I know that, John, you were curious about Nicole's experience well, with yeah, that, right? Uh, uh, Nicole, I was like, my guess, and I'm just going by the little bit that I've understood about alcoholism, And but Nicole, my guess is you knew Joe was an alcoholic and had issues, Wait, maybe bef- maybe not before Joe knew it, but before Joe was ready to admit it. Is that is that fair? And then how did you- oh, absolutely. How did you process all that? You know, I just, I would sweep a lot of it under the rug, quite honestly. And I try to like, I well, I'm not really one to like confront, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I would hold a lot of it inside and it would just bottle up, bottle up, bottle up. And then I would blow up, you uh, know, and yeah. then I, oof, it was no good. You know, that's how I handled it, which was not effective and dysfunctional. <laughs> so. But that, that's, that's my way. That was my way, should I say. Um, so, yeah, as far as, like, the communication piece, 
I would say little things here and there along the way, but not be directly forthcoming and be directly honest. I would just hold it within or maybe share it with like a good friend type of thing about what I've been experiencing in my marriage, but not necessarily confront him, which I should have done. Did you ever do Al-Anon or anything like that? No, I never did. Okay. Yeah. And I'm sure your story is very familiar to a lot of people. It's, I'm sure uh, yeah, a lot of people who are listening. Yeah. yeah. And the only reason I could guess that, mm-hmm. right, is just because, oh, yeah, no, I totally get that. Yeah. I kept a lot of it to myself and just kind of dismissed it and, and moved on and just kept going through life with him, you know? Yeah. yeah. And if I didn't know that you, if I didn't know from the fact that you were doing an interview together and you're together, as I read the book, I kind of had this sinking feeling, like, oh, no, he did it. He just did it and she is gone. Which, you know, I kind of, um, right? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So there's another miracle, right? Yeah. You referred to it kind of like when everything hit almost the rock bottom or whatever, but COVID was really a precipitating factor in what happened next. So tell us about that. What happened during COVID that took it to a whole new level? Oh, boy. Well, that is when my alcoholism just went off the charts. You know, like most people, it's COVID. You know, my, my, the firm I worked for shut down. Mm-hmm. Everything shut down. And this, my fears, my worries, you know, am I ever going to work again? Is my job going to still exist again? I, how am I going to pay the mortgage? I've got one kid in college and one on the way. How are we going to keep food on the table? Are we going to burn through all our savings? You know, I mean, spiraling like many people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But right and turn to my friends or my faith or my church, I turned to vodka. And I'll share my insanity. What my days began, um, Nicole worked at a private school that stayed in session. So she would leave the house at 7 o'clock in the morning. I'd give her a little bit of a head start, and then I would leave the house. And there was a liquor store about 20 minutes from the house that opened at 7 a.m. Some days I would be there before the guy that worked there unlocked the doors. And at 7 a.m., I would drink, I would buy three little airplane bottles, you know, little mini shots mm-hmm. of vodka. And I, the reason I did th- bought three was I had my own personal breathalyzer, and I knew that each shot of vodka put me to 0.025. Mm-hmm. And I've done the math. So if you do three of them, that takes you to 0.075, meaning I can legally drive. Mm-hmm. So at 7 a.m., I would do three shots of vodka. And then I also learned that it took one hour for each shot to metabolize and leave my body, so to speak. So at 9 o'clock, I could do two more, and I would do two more at 11 o'clock and two more at 1 o'clock and two more at 3 o'clock. By 5 o'clock, Nicole came home, and the only thing open was the liquor store and the grocery store. We would go to the grocery store to buy dinner, and I would detour into the liquor store, and on the way out, at five o'clock, I would do three more shots because I didn't have to drive anymore. Mm-hmm. And I would bring home three bottles of wine to get me through the night. Mm-hmm. And I did that every single day from mm-hmm. early March until December 30th when my body gave out and completely collapsed. Wow. Wow. You know, and you're telling a story that unfortunately, I'm sure, is familiar to some people, yeah. you know, and I, and I think we are very thankful for your vulnerability to share that because we also want them to hear the rest of your story. We want them to hear the hope that came, although it wasn't hopeful at first, because as you just started to share what happened on December 30th. Joe, almost every alcoholic, recovering alcoholic, will tell you 
that they had that hit the bottom. You couldn't get any lower than I was. I had lost everything. And they tell you about that hitting the bottom moment. You had a low, obviously, but for you, it wasn't like that hit the bottom moment. And, and you had to realize it actually takes some kind of action. Like when you hit the bottom, the world like changed radically. You were fundamentally out of control. Kind of get us to what happened there. And then it'll be a good teaser to get us through the break. And we'll, and we'll come back and finish it up. Okay. Um, December 30th of 2020, um, it was the night before New Year's Eve. Nicole and I had decided to beat the rush, and we went out for a nice dinner. So I'm told. Mm-hmm. Because this this is where my period of amnesia begins. I have no memories of that night. We went to dinner. We came home, I'm told. Nicole you know, ultimately went up to bed. I stayed downstairs on the sofa watching TV and drinking. And then... I collapsed. Now I can fill in those blanks if you'd like, or maybe Nicole, you can walk through what happened that night. Yeah, he um, was all disoriented and didn't know where he was. And he was kind of garbling and really wasn't making sense when he was speaking. So I was really freaking out and concerned, thinking, oh my gosh, maybe he's having a stroke. What's going on here? So I somehow managed to, instead of calling 911, I got him into my car and I drove him right to the emergency room. And at that point, obviously being COVID, I was unable to go in with him. So, you know, they met me there at the entrance, the ER entrance, um, and they took they took him back. And, and that was it, essentially. I kissed him goodbye and said, I love you. It, then it kind of essentially started the medical odyssey, so so to speak. So while they were looking into, you know, doing all these different tests on him, essentially, and trying to figure out what was going on with him, he, his body um, was going into alcoholic withdrawal. You know, he was withdrawing from alcohol um, while being there in the hospital. They were, you know, doing a series of different tests on him, wondering why, you know, he wasn't walking properly. Basically, what was going on for like a number of months, he was experiencing these like bizarre symptoms, such as vision issues. He had memory issues. His gait was off. He wasn't walking properly. Yeah, and so all of that started happening even before this. So we're going to get back into this because it's very fascinating to understand that. So keep joining us. We're here in the family room. We'll be back in just a few minutes. We'll be right back in the family room, sponsored by Versprite, right after this. In today's world, cybersecurity is critical for your business. Award-winning Versprite provides solutions to protect your company from hackers. For protection now, see Versprite.com. That's V-E-R-Sprite.com. The Quest thanks Versprite for their support. This is Father Michael Silloway from Christ our King and Savior Catholic Church in Greensboro, Georgia. And the Sushi Pay prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola is one of my favorites. Please join me in praying it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace, and that will be enough for me. Amen. The Quest presents Pro-Life Minutes. Life is precious, as it was given to us as a gift from God. 
He has a plan for every created life, even those conceived in the violent crime of rape. Legislation that protects every life is required because God's gift is to be respected, cherished, and protected. No value is given to the baby's life when abortion is allowed in cases of rape. Pro-life advocate Rebecca Kiesling was conceived in rape and had this to say, I am my mother's child. I honor her and bring her healing. Today, we are both thankful we were protected from the horror of abortion. Every life, no matter how it was created, is a human being worthy of life and deserves protection. Stand behind legislation with no exceptions. Let's show the world that every life matters by speaking up for life at every opportunity. For more homegrown wisdom, visit thequestatlanta.com. This is Dr. David Anders, host of Call to Communion. You know, Catholic Radio made a huge difference in my journey to the Catholic Church. I had pretty much read everything I could read and answered all the questions for myself I could answer, but I needed some real life breathing Catholics to talk to, you know, and I stumbled across Catholic Radio in my car and found people who'd walked the journey before me. I started calling them up and asking them questions, and they were there for me when I needed them, and they kind of helped me across some of those last hurdles between me and full inclusion in the Catholic Church. There are cities that have very few Catholics. There are some that have all kinds of Catholics. And yet, still, the guy next door to you, you can't assume he knows anybody who's Catholic. Catholic Radio, for a lot of people, is literally the only Catholics they know. I believe your support of your Catholic radio station can make an eternal difference in the life of an individual, a family, and in society. So support Catholic Radio. To donate, log on to thequestatlanta.com. Hi, I'm John Crisani, and I belong to St. Peter Chanel Catholic Church in Roswell. And you're listening to AM 1160 The Quest, your Atlantic Catholic radio. Welcome back to The Family Room with Mari, John, and Craig, sponsored by Verse Bright on AM 1160 The Quest. Welcome back into the family room. We are here with Nicole and Joe McGivney, and they are sharing quite an amazing story. We're talking about their life experiences and Joe's book, You're a Miracle, My Story of Alcoholism, Miraculous Healing, and God's Infinite Power of Love. And Nicole was just sharing a very graphic and terrifying situation that she found herself in on December 30th, 2020. And we'll go back to that story in just a couple of minutes. But before that, we would need to lighten it up just a second, because as you guys know, um, we ask every guest their favorite family room memories. So we'd love to hear from you. What is a favorite family room memory you guys have? Um, Nicole asked that I go first. For me, it was this past uh, summer, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, we went uh, for the first time ever. I had always wanted to go to Ireland and, um. and see where I'm from. And I have a cousin who kind of does all of, has been a, a, a genealogist, you know, as her hobby mm-hmm. for many, many years. And she organized a trip this past summer with 50, 5 me relatives that all went to Ireland together. Oh, my gosh. And we were, Nicole and I and my two adult children, Allie and Colin, were part of that trip. Wow. So that trip in and of itself was a beautiful family memory. But the thing I took away the most from that trip, we went to the little village where my great-grandfather and great-grandmother were from. 
you know, we met with some of the folks that, you know, were relatives of ours there. And they took us to the little structure that my great-grandmother was raised in. Mm-hmm. And it is a little stone, I'll call it a structure because, you know, it was their home, though. It may have been 15 feet by 20 feet, no windows, dirt floor, obviously no electricity or plumbing. And they were saying that when my great-grandmother was was young, there were probably seven or eight women living in that that home and no men because the men were all indentured servants living in the work quarters of more than likely, you know, English landowner mm. that, you know, were servants. Of. Right. Yeah. Right. Just seeing the abject poverty that they lived in. And that was not that long ago was before my time. But anyway, so that was my most beautiful memory of my family was that trip to Ireland. Mm-hmm. And then for me, I would say, I mean, fortunately I've always, Oh, had a beautiful connection with Joe's children, Allie and Colin. And, you know, many times you hear, oh, dear, the stepmother and the stepchildren <laughs> back going, oh, God, it could be like a nightmare situation. And, oh, boy, this is like, forget it. He's got these two little kids. When I met Allie and Colin, they were four and six. Mm. And when we married for the first time, they, you know, were eight and 10. And anyhow, I mean, we've always had a very close, loving, loving relationship. And I thank God for that. You know, I know I've never had any children of my own because of a medical condition, but I've loved these kids like they're my own. And anyhow, so a favorite memory as far as what I'm thinking about, what comes to mind is, you know, most recently back in in April, when I was baptized Catholic, they came for the vigil. So they were up at school up in Tallahassee, and they made that seven-hour drive just for me to spend time with me for the weekend and celebrate. I mean, I felt so honored and really adored and appreciated that they would make that much of an effort to come in for that weekend just to support me. I'm just so thrilled with, you know, just how they just showed so much love to me over the weekend and how we just have such an amazing relationship. I got goosebumps. That's beautiful. That's awesome. We're going to stay with the power of love. In fact, to prove the power of love, we're going to back up just a touch. Nicole, you were sharing kind of the horror and it's, I guess, multiplied by the fact it was COVID. So you couldn't even be in with Joe to have any kind of understanding what's going on. Right. There were probably some things, warning signs before this whole thing went down on the night of December 30th, what should you have paid attention to maybe that you didn't, um, that would have perhaps prevented the, the final collapse? Well, I mean, I thought maybe he had a mask or MS or I didn't, or Lou Gehrig's disease. I was trying to like diagnose him. Mm-hmm. The memory had gone, you know, the gait issues, the skin issues, his skin was really bad with break at like bad, really bad psoriasis. Mm-hmm. He just was not well. He wasn't eating. He wasn't eating. He was just on a liquid diet, essentially, and was hardly sleeping. He was like real kind of strung out, short-tempered, and very impatient, and super forgetful. And it it just, it was like a different man. I was like, oh, dear, what's going on here? But, you know, we did visits to doctors, and 
no one, you know, gave him any sort of inclination or diagnosis that something was really wrong. Never did the alcohol, you know, be brought, was that brought up as far as like his consumption? And then that fateful night, rather, he he collapsed and was disoriented. And so I just I was so frightened by you know what I was seeing and witnessing. I got him to my car, took him to the hospital, and like I said, I dropped him off there in the emergency room. They started, you know, doing a number of tests on him to determine what was the problem because I, you know, upon admitting him, I had said, I think he might be having a stroke. You know, mm-hmm. he's kind of garbling mm-hmm. and not speaking well, and he's just, he's out of it. He's very, very weak. They were working on him, but they were realizing, okay, like, he had gone through a brain scan that came back normal, and they were noticing he wasn't able to walk properly, so they were going to do a whole bunch of neurological testing on him. So while, you know, he was there, they were holding on to figure out, determine the reason why he wasn't walking so well. His body started to go into alcohol withdrawal. Mm. He was experiencing the tremors, and he had a seizure at one point. And he was like rapidly declining. Yeah, they they put him, admitted him to the ICU, um, and he was there for a couple nights to closely, you know, watch him. And it was just, it was very touch and go. And things weren't improving. He wasn't improving, and it was very, very scary. Um, and they were, you know, coming in and, and doing all that they could as far as like trying to, um, you know, medicate him properly and detox him safely. But his body just was, you know, not responding, essentially. So something was totally wrong. And then after all of this, you guys figure it was determined that there was definitely something wrong. But it was more than just, you know, a detox. detox. It was it was actually a disease. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's a well-known disease, but you had wet brain or WKS or were Nikki Korsakoff psychosis fundamentally. What is that? Yeah, I, you want me to speak on that? I've done a lot of research on it. It's a condition, uh, Wernicke, the Wernicke piece, it's believed is kind of precipitated by a thiamine deficiency. Mm-hmm. Uh, many alcoholics have poor poor diets. Mm-hmm. And they don't eat healthy. Um, and then in this is where it's very, there's very little medical research that, agrees on what happens next and why some people go from that thiamine deficiency into full-blown psychosis. Um, You know, for example, you know, people on hunger strikes or people that are prisoners of war and so on, they have thiamine deficiencies and they don't become crazy. Right. Mm -hmm. Something about the mix of that along with alcohol abuse, chronic alcohol abuse, something in the brain structure starts changing. So for those that move into that Korsakoff psychosis, which I was at, of 100 people that get it, um, there's about 20% that die. And it's likely that would have happened to me had Nicole not gotten me off the floor that night. She mm-hmm. saved my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm now in the group of about eight of 80%, roughly, that will spend the rest of their lives with disabling deficits most likely psychotic, Mm -hmm. which is where I, and they will not heal from it. There is no way to bring them back with intense therapy, 
there are some that they can bring back that they have brought back a little bit, but they will still be permanently disabled. I was in the group where you're now full blown psychotic and demented. And my last stop, so after the first hospital, I ultimately was in a number of institutions ending with a psych hospital in a locked psych ward mm. when Nicole was given the, the news that I would be that crazy man for the rest of his life. And they told her, you, we're not going to keep him here any longer. you got to figure out what you're going to do with this guy because he'll be this way forever. And then, by the grace of God, Nicole found this treatment facility that agreed to hold me for 30 days while she found my permanent home. Mm. So if you are just joining us, you are here in the family room. We are listening to Joe and Nicole McGivney tell this incredible story um, that he also summarizes in his book called You're a Miracle, My Story of Alcoholism, Miraculous Healing, and God's Infinite Power of Love. And we are getting close to that miraculous healing time. Um, Nicole, for you at this point, you know, you'd seen Joe go through this for several months ahead of time. The doctors were not helping you guys because as most of us in America know, if you've been to doctors, they're not very holistic. You know, each doctor, one looks at his skin, one looks at his gait and his balance issues. They look at different things and they don't all seem to sometimes put it all together. So nobody was actually telling you that there was anything that had to do with alcohol, right? At that point, except the one doctor, I think, who did do some liver testing and that was it. Um, And then even when Joe went in that night, once you got him off the floor, which was a miracle itself, because you're very petite and and he's very tall and weighs probably twice what you weigh. Right. So there is a you had to have angels or somebody helping you that night. Just get him off the floor. But now you're faced with this message from that. The psychotic the psychiatric hospital, they say he's going to be like this forever. You find this place that you're going to take him. What was going through your mind at that point? Oh, my goodness. It just those days were so dark for me and so terrifying and so upsetting. I mean, I just I didn't even know. I mean, like what would become of our life together? I mean, it just I mean, such a beautiful man with so many wonderful qualities. But that one component, which is huge. And what it did to him, Mm -hmm. so destructive, so destructive, and how it impacted our relationship hugely, greatly, and the ripple effects, not only us, but our kids. I mean, it just, it really, it was so, so unfortunate. And I, I don't even know, I don't even know how I got through those weeks, you know, kind of leading up to, like, the news of this is what he's been diagnosed with. I mean, I lost a lot of weight. I could barely function at work. I'm a teacher, mm. teach kindergarten way. And can you imagine going every day and you've got to be on? It's not like I'm in some cubicle where I can like hide. You can't hide. I'm so present and I have to be super animated and full of fun. Um, but so it just, it was yeah, a nightmare, essentially. I mean, having to talk to doctors and nurses consistently and then you know effectively communicate to his family members they wanted specifics on a daily basis so Mm -hmm. it i mean it took a huge toll and i just i couldn't believe it i was just so so sad so mad so upset and just kind of like mad at the world how could this be how could this be this is our marriage and this is 
what has happened, and this is the experience I've been presented with, and oh my goodness, wow, this is my life. Yeah, it was just it seemed surreal, you know. So this happened. This went on from from the thirtieth of December. It went on for nine weeks, and Joe, you have no memory of those nine weeks. No, I mean, they had him in restraints. He was combative. He was aggressive. I mean, he just, he couldn't be by himself in a room there in any facility because of his behavior or behaviors. He was a concern and, um, you know, they had to have a babysitter essentially oversee him and and take care of him and watch him because of his tendencies. It it just, he was, yeah. Crazy. I mean, he was crazy. Yeah, I mean, literally, I'm not kidding. Like, before he went in and we had experienced all this medical odyssey, it was like early December. We watched One Flew Over over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, I really, did I know that was going to be my life, you know, come the next couple months? Sequel. <laughs> yeah, sequel. Yeah. So so we, I want to get the, the, to the miracle part, the miracle, honestly. Yeah. So, so, so we, I won't belabor, but, but I'll tell you this. Read the book. I read the book. I'm not the fastest reader in the book. I think in the world, I think I read it in about 15 minutes. That's an exaggeration. But <laughs> one sitting, boom, 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 I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I would certainly encourage folks to do that. It's a, it's a moving and it's a, it's a thought-provoking uh, experience. But you got better. So, well, that's the miracle part. So how tell us how the miracle transpired. Well, the best we can figure, because I have no memories of everything leading up until the, the, the immediate aftermath of the miracle, so the lock psych ward discharged me, mm-hmm. and I was transported directly from there to this treatment facility that agreed to basically hold me for 30 days. It's believed that maybe that night they put me to bed in my little room, mm-hmm. but I here's where my memories come back. I wake up the following morning in this room with a bed and a nightstand and a dresser, a sun, sun shining through a window, and all I can think is, where am I, and why am I here? Mm-hmm. So I walked out into the hallway and kind of flagged somebody down, and it happened to be one of the staff members, and I said, where am I? He said, Joe, you're at the retreat. Don't you remember? I'm like, okay, why am I here? He said, you're here for your drinking. Okay, well, that makes sense. And then I think the next thing I want to know is where can I get some food? But, um, (laughs) you know, in the interest of time, um, over the next few days, it, it, it became clear to me that I was there because I had had some kind of a miraculous event. Mm. Um, but at that point to show you the insanity of at least my addiction and my alcoholism. So I'm in this place. I know I'm there for my drinking, and I have one thing on my mind, and that is get home and get out of here as quickly as I can to try to get, you know, keep Nicole. Mm-hmm. Right. I I wasn't even willing to accept that I had a drinking problem at that point. Mm-hmm. I just needed to get out. So I thought if I'd be a model patient, they're going to cut me loose in a week instead of 30 days. Uh-huh. And then we had this fateful phone call. Um, it was about a week and a half into my 30-day stay. Just, I'm in a therapist's office. Nicole's on speakerphone. Again, COVID, she can't be there. Mm-hmm. And I could hear the minute she picked up the phone on the other end that this call was not going to go well. I could tell by the tone of her voice 
And she said, Joe, you know, do you really understand anything you've been through these last year or what you were that, you know, put us through? I said, I, it, I really don't understand it. She starts sobbing and she says, look, I'm so happy that you're well. But when you get home, you know, two and a half weeks from now, I will be gone. Mm-hmm. I've already packed. I've already contacted a lawyer. I'm asking you to just let me be. And you can speak to your relatives to fill in the blanks. The therapist tried to cut the call off. He said, Nicole, you know, let's hit the pause button and we'll schedule another call. And she said, there will be no other call. And she hung up. In that moment, I I understood what it meant to feel broken. I mean, I was literally aching inside. It was as if someone had ran me over with a truck. And the therapist looked me in the eye and he said, Joe, there's an AA meeting starting in five minutes and you need to go. And I had a few words for him that weren't let's dance. Uh, and <laughs> he, but he, he managed to get me into that meeting and I went. Um, and in that meeting, they started like the, every AA meeting, they read the 12 steps. And the first step um, is that You know, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. Well, I'm sitting in treatment facility. My wife just left me. Mm -hmm. me. I'm pretty sure I qualified. Step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Hmm. Started thinking a little bit about that one. Then the third step, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. Hmm. It was if... That was whispered in my ear, and it was as if that was there for me that night. I was laser-focused on that. And then, like most AA meetings afterwards, a man got up and spoke and told his story of how he had burnt his life to the ground and had found AA, worked through the steps with a sponsor, and now he was living a life where he was filled with joy and happiness. And you could just see it on his face. He was happy. And in that moment, I, I, that's when I surrendered. And I said, I need help. Not to, you know, Nicole's not coming back, but I need to change my life. You know, that I'm enough. I raised my white flag, mm-hmm. as we say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Nicole saved my life that day again. Yeah. That- had not left me. I would have gotten out of that treatment facility, tried to make up with Nicole, and I would have been drinking the next day. So, and and not a lot of time. We got to connect two important players, Aunt Jerry and Blessed Michael McGivney. Yes, let me get to that part. I know we're running short. Aunt Jerry, my beautiful aunt, who's a devout Catholic and a nurse, had been my advocate, medical advocate through that odyssey. She had been translating what the doctors were saying, and her and Nicole communicated, you know, endlessly. So Aunt Jerry, right after I got out of treatment, I get back to my house. Jerry and I started a weekly phone call. Initially, she was just checking up on me. Mm-hmm. And every on Saturday mornings, one of the things you do when you're going through recovery is you start figuring out that part of the program is to serve others. So I, I decided, you know what? I'm related to this Father McGivney guy. I've known that for years. Maybe I should join the Knights of Columbus. What a great way to serve others. And I did. So in my Saturday morning phone call with Jerry the following, right after I joined the Knights, 
I said to her, oh, by the way, I became a Knight of Columbus this week. And she starts crying. And I'm like, what's going on, Jerry? I thought you'd be happy. And she says, Joey, when, when you were really sick, we were all praying. She said, I was praying to God, to Jesus, to Mary. I was praying to anyone who would listen. And I was praying fervently to our relative, Father Michael. And this is a, just a few months after my miracle. In my answers to why God saved me, I think the dots connected in that call. Boom. That perhaps it was Father Michael's intercession that led to my miraculous healing. Pretty amazing. 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 What, well, what, why don't we close? We'll but, put but, some bunch of stuff in, in the footnotes, in the uh, show, show notes, notes, but maybe, Joe, you could close just with the prayer for the canonization of, uh, uh, of Father Michael McGivney. Thank you could very you, much. Could you read it for us? Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. God, our Father, protector of the poor and defender of the widow and orphan, you called your priest, blessed Michael McGivney, to be an apostle of Christian family life and to lead the young to the generous service of their neighbor. Through the example of his life and virtue, may we follow your son, Jesus Christ, more closely, fulfilling his commandment of charity and building up his body, which is the church. Let the inspiration of your servant prompt us to greater confidence in your love so that we may continue his work of caring for the needy and the outcast. We humbly ask that you glorify blessed Michael on earth according to the design of your holy will. Through his intercession, grant the favor I now present, leaving room for those to ask Father Michael to intercede. Through Christ our Lord, amen. 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 Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Well, thank you both so much. I think that um, we have been so blessed by your um, vulnerability, your openness, um, you're walking us through that. And I think we've also gotten people excited to read more about the miracle, including the miracle of how God brought both of you back together again. And you have this beautiful mm-hmm. marriage and you're both um, worshiping together in the Catholic Church and God has continued to be mir- miraculous and do wonderful things. So thank you both so much. We really appreciate having you with us here. Thank you. And Mari and John. Thank you for having us and Thank giving us so giving us this opportunity. Thank you. Yeah, it's wonderful. Thank you. You're welcome. And um, listeners, we will have uh, a way to reach um, out and get Joe's book in our show notes. Once again, the book is called You're a Miracle, My Story of Alcoholism, Miraculous Healing, and God's Infinite Power of Love. So join us again here in the family room next week where we offer hope, encouragement, truth, and wisdom for families. Thanks for hanging out with us in the family room. Sponsored by Versprite. For more info, go to thequestatlanta.com.